Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases through the lens of a trained investigator and former prosecutor turned judge. If you are sensitive to expletives, anatomical descriptions, and accurate descriptions of crime scenes, this podcast may not be suitable for you. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Megan. Welcome to episode two, Megan. I have a beer this time. Yes, I think that's a good idea. I'm sticking with water because I don't want my throat drying out. Okay. But um, when we're all done recording for the day today, you might have I, one. I will be cracking one open. This I is think. probably the first time I've had an alcoholic beverage since I got back from vacation. So mm-hmm. I had a lot of them on the on right, the cruise right. your liver needed a break took advantage of the drink package yes. um and yeah well just did, and then I got horribly sick so yeah I actually did try to have a beer last night because my husband is sick now I was trying I think so I made soup and then was like hmm, I think I might have a beer with this it tasted terrible oh it doesn't yeah, like nothing no. but this is great I'm yeah I'm good this is good I Plus, feel better it's today just, numbing out the disgustingness that is David Brown. I mean, I'm not saying that that's a great coping mechanism, but for those of us who don't have any type of an addiction issue, yeah, it's today it's my coping mechanism. That's what's happening. Yes. If you have not listened to part one, you have to. Stop the episode immediately. Yep. And go listen to the previous episode because you've missed um, so much, literally like from the moment this this man was conceived. If one was ever going to think up of an excuse or an explanation as to how somebody's going to perpetrate the awful crimes you're about to tell me about, you have to know who he was up to about age 17. Yep, exactly. Exactly. So that's where I'm picking up. Um. We're going to, we're going to pick up after his high school, uh, experience. I don't even want to call it a career. Right. Uh, in short, he was right after high school. He was lazy. He couldn't hold down a job. What? Um, he's the victim at every job that he gets fired from. It's never his fault. You know, same old, same old from the rest of the earlier parts of his life. Right. Um, however, he was dedicated to being, uh, the church's Sunday school teacher. Which is a horrifying thought because if you've listened to part one, you know that he has been convicted of perpetrating sexually and violently. But it's a juvenile record. Yep, sure is. So I bet they knew nothing about it when he applied to be a Sunday. Does know about it? His mom, his mother, and that's where I have an issue. She knows that he has an affliction for violence against little boys and one little girl that he mistook for a little boy. She does. So um, remember, not only is he deeply religious, but he also thinks that he's God's special helper doing the work of God. Abla, abla, abla. So he's going to go to Bible college in 1976. He went to Valley Forge Christian College. And um, he actually worked as a night watchman for a moment. Um, okay. Yeah. What yep. did he watch? Everything. <laughs> you know, I'm really, I'm going to guess that. Do watchmen have to do or do they just get to watch? It's, <laughs> I, th- I think he just gets to watch. Cool. Oh, it was like I in get paid front to of the. I He He was 
the Watchmen for like the library or something like that that's closed at night. So I, he didn't. I have know to what do job anything, you're talking about, and it's, yeah, one of those college positions. Yeah, but uh, one of his he's college, weighing in at 400 pounds. Yes, or close to it, 390 or something. Yep, yep. Um, there was a moment where some of his students were very. Not his students, but you know his his peers okay. were very disturbed because actually one night at work he cut his eye, and they found him in the bathroom. It was like an accident. He walked into something, okay. cut his eye. They found him in the bathroom stitching himself up in the mirror. Ooh, right, like that's a that's a whole different level. It's either creepy or badass, depending on no, what your circumstances this, right, are. Right, this guy's creepy. This is not Bruce Willis. No, it's not. This Bruce is, Bruce has mm-hmm. just fallen partway down a skyscraper and he gets yes. out a needle of thread and says, "I got." This. I got. It's fine. That is badass and a bit of a turn on. This <laughs> is creepy. No, this yeah. is fat bastard from Austin Powers. <laughs> <laughs> yes with a needle yes poking his own belly button while he's and picking his scabs and yeah eating while it. he's stroking other things don't forget about that the his affinity for picking his picking own and body and i know eating it. it's, all right it's a, it's a, it's honestly a disorder you guys but it is. Wow. It is. all right so college does not last long because he was constantly interrupting the church services and the lectures to tell them how wrong all their teachings were because he was god's special helper and he knew better this he was had a, the better answer. This is at the Christian college yes, he's attending? It yes, it is. He also never showered and changed clothes, so that was a disruption for others as well. So he was kicked out not because of the interruptions, the hygiene, and also because his grades sucked. Oh, okay. He knew better, but he just wouldn't do his work. Yep, yep. He told his mom and everyone else that would listen that his professors were jealous of his relationship with God and that he knew more than they did, so he was let go. They were intimidated by his special relationship and how he knew more about the Bible than they did and that their teachings were wrong, so they had to boot him. Yep. So, you know, delusion, delusional, narcissistic, here we are. Um, Basically, I was let go for being too smart. I hate when that happens. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've yeah. been there, David. Right. It's a, it's a tragedy. <laughs> it really, really is. Happened. No, because that's not a thing. Uh-uh. Uh, it's a thing if you live in, in victimhood. Okay. I've quit because I'm too smart. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm I've kidding. walked out of rooms because right. I was getting dumber by the moment. But yeah. I've decided I don't want to hang out with you anymore because, well, my brain works. Yeah. Yeah. But you All have right. a good day with yours. <laughs> Good luck with that. Yeah. Good luck with that frontal lobe, David, that, by the way, is not firing at all neurologically. I couldn't imagine being in a class. I took some religion classes. I went to a small Christian liberal arts school where people would say some pretty uh, just unknowingly offensive things because that's how they were raised. Mm-hmm. And I was raised in a relative, I guess it wasn't. I mean, I, I was spiritual. We were raised yeah. in a Christian household, Same. but I w- yeah. it wasn't like beat at me or anything. No. And so I, I, I wanted to walk out of class on more than one occasion, but instead I think I sat there with... You know the Megan look where I'm like, yeah, I it's do. the one. It's the reason that I have the wrinkles on my forehead <laughs> and like the creases in between my eyes because yeah. I do look at people like that all day. I've I've seen it. Uh, my favorite is when there was this one particular defense attorney that none of us enjoy, and I was on the stand, and she said something stupid, and you gave her that look, and she looked at you giving her that look, and then went and sat down. <laughs> 
Because she knew her it's question my, was stupid. Oh, it's my face. Uh, I, I don't it's know. my face. I, I know. Somebody said the other day, they're like, are you okay? You're, you know, I said, that's my actual face. It's yeah, fine. Yeah. I'm always, I'm I always fine. look like this. <laughs> so here he is. He's nearly four. Well, he is 400 pounds. He's over 400 pounds at this point in time. And obviously he goes back home to live with his mother. This is difficult for his mom financially to keep him fed. And especially because he was addicted to fast fast food and Mm -hmm. demanded it. And we know how Tyra goes with his demands, right? So he's living on the McDonald's. He is. Um, He starts hanging around at flea markets and an old woman took him under her wing and taught him how to haggle for a deal. Cool. Right. Way to make friends, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. An old, yes. This poor unsuspecting old woman. An old vulnerable woman at Mm -hmm. a flea market. At a flea market. So he set up his own tent. At the market for kids' antique toys, Megan. And he had a cardboard sign in there advertising his new endeavor, babysitting services. Nope. Nope. Yeah. I know. I told you. It just keeps getting worse. On September 24th, 1977, he set his tent up, put on his police uniform. Remember from episode one how he likes to impersonate a police officer? And he approaches two kids named Billy and Alan. They were on their bike. He rolled up next to them and demanded to know their names. He lectured them on being out so late, even though it was 8 o'clock, and demanded that they get in his car so that he can take them home. When they do, he immediately trigger alerts to child abuse. He immediately hits Alan and bloodies his nose. The boys are telling him that they didn't do anything wrong as he had drives as he drove them around and was really trying to figure how out long, like what his plan is. How long do you think these poor kids thought a police officer was mad at them and assaulted them? Right, right. I, I don't know. It um, hurts. I'm hurt. They yeah. here. He handcuffs them behind their backs and then tells Billy to get into a green duffel bag that he pulled out of the trunk of the vehicle. The boy tells him that he's too big to get into a duffel bag. And David told him that he'd cut his legs off if he didn't get into it. But then he can eventually see that Billy Billy is right and that he can't, in fact, fit into the duffel bag. He he had had no plan. You know what I mean? He has no no plan. So he becomes violent. He throws the bag out the window, is is beating Billy. Um, And then he takes the boys to his merchant tent where he ties them up. And he tries to get them to remove their clothing, but they refused. So he unties them and throws them in the back seat of the car again, one on top of the other. And then he pulls Alan out of the car by the hair and starts to beat him and then choke him. He's even bouncing up and down on the child's chest in an attempt to kill him. I mean, he's 400 pounds. Yeah. Okay. He lay, he was laying on the ground and sees David. I'm sorry. I, I skipped a, I went uh, to paragraph. My, yes. Yes. <laughs> It's because Alan, she wasn't reading. She was going off of memory was, and had to look back. He had to start reading. I watched you. So Alan is laying on the ground. He sees David go back to the car to get Billy out of the back seat. Now, he could hear him beating Billy this mm-hmm. entire time. And then he hears him put Billy into the trunk. And Alan watches as David drives away with his friend in the trunk. So <sighs> Alan gets up to go get help. They happened, this flea market was next to an Assembly of God building. Yep. I'm and familiar so, with those. We have one of those here. We do. And so um, he goes and gets help from George Nickerson, who was the youth director 
of the Royal Rangers, which was was um like I think even a part of this flea market, okay, okay. like their youth program or whatever. So this George Nickerson calls the police. Alan describes to the police what had happened and and who had done it. David, in the meantime, is driving around with Billy in the trunk, trying to figure out what to do. Nothing had gone to plan because he really didn't have a freaking plan. So an officer named Officer Stearns saw his car and started to chase him. Of course, David thinks that he's Vin Diesel and that he can outrun a police officer. <laughs> you fast and furious, Jim. Right. He does not, just so okay. you know. Billy is rescued alive at 12.40 a.m. So this is from approximately 8 p.m. to 12.40 that these boys literally lived a hell on earth. And they were assaulted, but they weren't actually sexually assaulted. They weren't because they refused to take their clothes off. Well, he wanted them to sexually assault each other. And he was going to sexually assault them. Yep. yep, But they wouldn't take their clothes off. Mm -mm. And he... So instead he just physically assaulted them. the shit out of them. Mm -hmm. Yep. He wants compliance. Yeah. Well, he's arrested. Okay. And he, well, God. Yeah. And he actually gave a full confession. Um, I mean, kind of. Oh, God. How is he the hero in this story? Well, he gave the full confession as if he was a police officer writing a police report who had just come upon the crime scene. It was fucking bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. Yes. Yes, Gwen. What bananas. the hell? Yeah. They've literally got a report that he's the guy that did this. And he's like, so I'm Officer David and I came upon these two children. Yep. And it was, I decided not to read it. It's in the books if you want to read it. Okay. It's extremely long, but it's also really hard to follow. Like it would Well, be, yeah, because it's not in, real. Yeah. In an auto, in, in, um. The platform of, of audio that we deliver to people, it just jumps all around. Doesn't and translate. No. And it, what it boils down to is he's acting like he is the police officer, but then the next moment he slides into, and then I did this. Like, it was bizarre. It was just, I mean, just absolutely bizarre. Well, he's building an interesting defense. Right. So he's charged with two counts of kidnapping, two counts of attempted murder and impersonating a police officer and failure to stop because when they gave chase, he didn't, they, they chased him all around. He didn't Which stop. is probably actually our version of a felony fleeing and eluding, right. but failure, failure to, stop to stop is a civil infraction here. So yes. that's why we find it funny. Yes. Give him an impeding traffic. Give him every, right. Just dismiss all the felony charges and have him pay the $85 ticket. <laughs> you yes. know yeah plea, it, plea, plea agreements happen it really was uh, you know referring to how he did not stop when they were yeah, trying to pull him over the fleeing yeah so he was ordered to get a psychiatric evaluation the uh psychiatrist who does this is a man named stephen cronin who does end up being the chief of forensic psychiatry at bridgewater state hospital in massachusetts where david will eventually end up okay but Anyway, the interview with David was ended by Dr. Cronin only 30 minutes into it because, quote, he clearly acknowledges that he has trouble controlling his impulses towards young boys. He also acknowledges that two years prior to these charges, he was arrested on similar one, ones. There is no evidence to support the possibility that he enters any time type of disassociative state, end quote. In so he's not words, blacking out. He's not blacking out. He's not going to entertain his lies and attempts at manipulation at all. He is competent Competent. and needs to be held accountable. Good. So the police went to interview him for a real confession, and he is asked about a girl named Susan. Is Susan the little girl on the bike? No. 
Susan's been missing since 1974. Remember in episode one how I said that there is just no way between the ages of 13 and 15 that he did something. Mm -hmm. Yep. So here we are. She was riding her bike and her bike was found a few days later. And then after her bike was found, her battered body was found. A witness at the time recalled seeing a very large fat man leaning against a green car. But it could have been a fat boy. Exactly. He did not look like a boy at that point in time. Um, Yes, David did have access to a green car in 1974. It was one of his parents' vehicle. And the other thing that I haven't really mentioned yet, just because it's so common at the time, was that David started smoking when he was like 13 or something like that, you know. Um, so mom and dad usually smoked. The packs mm-hmm. were there. They didn't even think anything of it when the kids picked up a cig. Right. So a witness at the time, like I said, had saw this large man, um, leaning against this green car, smoking a cigarette right, right next to where Susan's bike was found. Um, the thing is Susan's panties were never found. She had been bonded with white bandage tape and she had been strangled with severe head trauma. So was she sexually assaulted? Yes. There were never any more leads that led to any, you know, any sort of arrest, okay? And in 1974, he was in high school. So when the police decided to take this opportunity to question him about Susan, he said, quote, Oh, you mean that girl that was killed with a large rock and bound in tape? End quote. Yeah, I heard about her. But then he denied having anything to do with it. Mm-hmm. The only problem is the police had never disclosed disclosed any of those details to the public. So they get a search warrant because they're like, you know, things you shouldn't. Exactly. They get a search warrant for his home. The problem with this is that they called Tyra ahead of time. No, Tyra's going to get rid of evidence. She did. She tell allegedly. 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 She tells them that she'll be home later. Like, yeah, you can come. Well, no. be, I'm not home right now. I'll That's be home not how later. search warrants work. You go do it right away. Mm-hmm. You don't care if someone's home. When they entered the home, <sighs> it had clearly been very recently immaculately cleaned. The hood of her car was still warm and no one questioned Tyra where she had been and what she had done that day. And they did not search her car. Tyra, they who, didn't who are you actually protecting here? Yeah. December 14th. Was her car green? No, not at that time. It's the white one. Okay. Because mm-hmm. I would have had a search warrant for that This is years too. later. Sure it is. Right. Yes, they should have had a search warrant for Tyra's car. Absolutely. She, they, He used her car to perpetrate on these two boys. Yeah, but you have to have and, probable cause. And in, in, right. in that specific car, there might not have been PC for. Well, and he had also admitted to two years prior perpetrating in her car. Yeah. You know. Yeah, so. that's true. I would have just gone and written search warrants for the any vehicles on the premises as well, since there were allegations yeah. that the crimes had been perpetrated in a vehicle, any appurtenances, any, you know, sheds and anything like that on the property mm-hmm. as well. <coughs> Excuse me. So December 14th, 1977, he pleads guilty to kidnapping and attempted murder, but the confession reads still like he was a trooper on duty. They never, he, it never changes. You are not a law enforcement officer, no. David. no. So he was sentenced to the Why isn't this guy being charged with impersonating a police officer? Was that not a charge then? It was. No, was. was that included? Okay. But what he pleads guilty to is the kidnapping and attempted murder. 
Well, still because trying to those are both life offenses. And they are here. I don't know if kidnapping is there. Not in Massachusetts there. at well, this time. punishable up to. It's usually, yeah. kidnapping is life or any term of years, is how it reads. Okay. Well, I'll tell you, he was sentenced to the max sentence for Massachusetts So at the it wasn't time. life. It 18 was like to 20. 18 to 20. And spent the first two years at a prison, but kept petitioning to be sent to Bridgewater State Hospital because he knew that environment was less restrictive because he had been receiving letters from a friend that he met in prison who was transferred to Bridgewater. And they have those letters, and those letters are like, yeah, it's way better here. You should get transferred here. Do you mean to tell me David is finally in an environment where he can make friends? Yep. In, a, in prison is where his friends are. Oh, oh. I have a... Strap in, honey. We got a long ride ahead of us. I'm just going to pull this up and get the straps yep. adjusted. Okay. So for the, take, for the sake of time, I'm going to cut to the chase. Okay. What happens is that his mother petitions to have him transferred from prison to Bridgewater State Hospital. So he goes there in 1979, and then she starts writing the doctors there, pleading for his sentence to be reduced on grounds of diminished capacity. And what ends up happening is that the doctors there say, okay, but he has to serve 10 years first before he can be eligible for parole. Okay. At parole hearings, Tyra had Christian psychiatrists. She hired them herself to work with David and basically what happens is the Bridgewater psychiatrists go up against the Christian psychiatrists that are hired by Tyra and they go back and forth between he's fine, he's not fine, he's fine, he's not fine. And he kept making up elaborate and detailed stories of sex crimes that the guards were putting him through, just like the same story that he constantly told that happened to him friend. Yep, when he was 10 and his 8-year-old friend in the woods that never happened. He was not sexually assaulted by guards in no. prison. No, first of all, this man stunk so bad, you guys. Like that theme is so prevalent amongst this research that like I think that it, there if there were guards that were perpetrators there, they likely would have picked a victim that was first of all more clean, second of all not 400 pounds that couldn't fight back. Like, essentially, if, if you're a perpetrator, you're not going for the biggest guy in the room. I wouldn't think. Typically. Okay? Allegedly. But he's continually, continuously glorifying being the victim of a criminal sexual assault. Always. Yes. He told the Christian psychiatrist that he had found Jesus as his savior, and they bought into it saying that he was not a threat to society. No. Those reports are on record. You, this is, these cases are so hard for me because I know we have a lot of people of different denominations and spiritual persuasions that listen to this. I'm a Christian and it always bothers me and hurts my soul when somebody takes it and perverts it like Mm -hmm. that. And, and I have, I have often taken issue with certain Christian psychologists, psychiatrists and counselors for those reasons as well. Um, I think you can be a psychiatrist or a psychologist and, and have a religious persuasion of any kind, Christian or otherwise. But when that is your first and foremost in your counseling with somebody like this, Oh my God, just the manipulation they don't even recognize. Yes, you have to use discernment. You have to be able to discern. And if you can't separate your religion from assessment tools, diagnoses, things like that. You have to do it all the time in our jobs. Exactly. Then it is a problem. So Tyra was 61 when David went to prison. 
She drove 180 miles round trip at least once a week during what ends up being his 15 years of imprisonment. Okay. Okay. Do his siblings go visit him? No. (laughs) When he was released after two doctors who were later found to not use any real reasoning in their assessment tools recommended his release as a non-threat, he calls his mom June 28, 1991, demands that she buy him a new suit and to come and get him because he's being released. At this time, Tyra is 76 year old, years old, and when she showed up, he had accumulated through the 15 years in imprisonment, but really at Bridgewater for the most part, um, he had accumulated all kinds of, first of all, he had been writing back and forth with pen pals. He had all of that saved. He had been doing all of his religious research. He had all of that saved, uh-huh. his own legal research. And so there's boxes and boxes of accumulation, and he gets into the car, sits in the front seat, and makes his 76-year-old mother put all those boxes into the vehicle. A guard watching nearby felt sorry for her and did help her load them. But David was not willing because he had been through enough. Then on the way home, it's 180 miles, on the way home, he demanded that she stop at every fast food place that they saw. And each time he ordered three burgers, three fries, and three shakes and ate them in one sitting. He was hungry. He'd been in prison a long time. I feel like he can only be described as like mother nature's one regret. <laughs> like, don't you think? Like, we all have that one regret in life. And I think for, for sweet, beautiful mother nature, she's like, ooh, yeah, wasn't on my A game that day. Right? This is my one regret. Yeah. And and, and God's up there going, oh, and devil's down there going not it like yeah I like i didn't even know like yeah. we don't we don't know right. where he yeah. came from god's like nope not me devil's like nope I, not me and mother nature's I, like shit i just love it when he so he the these christian psychologists with no um basis just basically their own uh, subjective opinions mm-hmm. decided he was okay to get out because he found jesus who apparently to some people like is literally hiding like in your closet or under your mattress and yeah. that's where he must have found him because nothing it, to to find Jesus, that would be expressed in your actions, yeah, right, and in in your doings and in mm-hmm. your deeds. Mm-hmm. But he got he was able to find Jesus by talking and manipulation, and that's not where that's Jesus not is. Where Jesus lives? No, no, it's not where Jesus lives. Sure isn't. Um, I mean, he preached the gospel in prison, you know, when during his time incarcerated, but he also just remained, as he always has, a demanding, narcissistic, entitled, egotistical asshole. And he was the expert. Yes. In that. Right. I just, wow. So August 9th, 1991, just 43 days after his release, he Uh perps again. Shocking. So guess those doctors were wrong. That literally wrote in the report, not a threat to society. No, because he found Jesus and then he put him back under the mattress. Yep. <laughs> he found crucifix. Jesus and then he put him back in the in the genie's bottle. Correct. All right. So he this is a he's on an afternoon stroll to the local school's playground where he liked to lurk. I was just gonna say, come on. How come he is allowed around a... This is before sex offender registration. Yeah, it's 1991. Oh, no. There was some yeah, Sora. There he, was, but he isn't being monitored, Okay, Megan? Like, you can't be by a park. You can't be by no. a school. No. Don't teach Sunday school. 
You know what he liked to do? He liked to pretend like he was the school crosswalk officer. The school didn't hire him. He'd just go stand there? He'd just there? go and stand and help the kids across the street. But he liked to lurk throughout the day. He had the playground um, schedules memorized. So he would just go and stand and, and, and lurk. Well, he was walking through a shortcut that he takes, which is through the post office parking lot. When there, he saw seven-year-old Michael sitting in the back seat waiting for his, his mother who was inside. Oh, my God. Wearing, and I'm about to paint a picture, sister. Okay, I know. I feel it coming. Wearing a coonskin hat. Michael is? No, David is. Oh, I'm like, that's adorable. Of course it is. No, it's David. David is wearing, a, there's a 400-pound man with a coonskin well, cap. he is now 275 pounds. Oh, he, he was in prison. He lost he 100 lost, pounds. He did. He lost weight. So he's wearing himself a coonskin hat. And I wrote in my notes, I had to include it to paint a picture. Um, he gets into the back seat and proceeds to just sit on the child. He just sat on him? Sat on him, smothering the child with his chest. I don't, I don't know. Michael's mother thankfully saw this. What type of a sex act is that? I, I think it's just violence, Megan. I think it's just violent. And the boy remembers, he's a survivor. Oh my and God. And he remembers how sweaty and yucky sm and musty smelling, because it was also raining that day. Yeah. Um, that his shirt was. And he was he was literally like suffocating on yeah, it. Yeah, smushed mm -hmm. by the blob. Yep. Yeah. He was suffocating on it. So luckily, Michael's mother saw this and she was reported by a witness to have all but tore the hinges off the car door. She whipped it open so fast and just went to town beating on the bastard. You got it right. Yep. That is a justifiable assault. You can come to the defense of others. This is my legal opinion at yep. this point in time. And at yeah. this point in time, and she does. any assault is justified. Yeah, she is beating on him. David starts- Deadly force would have been appropriate there. He was right. smothering, smothering her, her child. child. Yeah, but she's in the post office. I mean, I, I imagine she's got her purse. They don't like it when you bring guns they in don't. there. Yeah, you're not allowed to do that. No. Um. So he starts <clears throat> screaming, screaming, because she's beating I on mean, him. I assaulted. That he was just trying to get out of the rain. Oh, he didn't realize there was a kid in there? I didn't realize I was sitting on this child. A 275 pounds is not that large you're for a dude. You in my car, man. Like, I mean, not to say it's not large, but like, you're not so large that you can't see when you're sitting on a child. Correct. I know plenty of 275 yeah. pound men who may be carried a little differently than he does, yes. but they aren't even, you wouldn't no. even know. No, you have no, exactly. That was my point too. You would have no idea that that's their actual weight. We call that well stacked. So I've been told. <laughs> <laughs> so police find his ass that day. She describes them. They know exactly who they're freaking looking Just for. Just got released from prison. Let's go find Forty-three days David. ago. Mm -hmm. So they find him sitting on his mother's couch eating some mac and cheese that when he came home, he demanded his mommy make for him. Oh, my his God. His 76-year-old mother make wedding for second. him. Or, yeah, the wedding crashers. Mom! Yeah. Give me the meatloaf. Mom. I like the meatloaf, mom. <laughs> He's in his fucking 40s at this point in time. Yeah, like, it's Will Ferrell's character. <laughs> Ma. Yep. So <coughs> I'm sorry, my lungs are objecting right now. <coughs> okay, I'm alive. Okay. He told them the same thing, that he was just trying to get out of the rain. Michael was a bit banged up with a bloody nose and was traumatized, but uh, other than that, he was going to be okay. Dude, can you imagine your day? He got sat on. Right. He no. got sat on. 
get crushed. I know as a little person, this is something you're probably nervous about all yes, the time. I have to tell you, people but do I it have to never, be funny to me. And sometimes I do enter a little bit of panic of like, yeah. oh fuck, I would be screwed. I've never, I've never felt like I was being crushed before. No, no it's, so. it, it, it is Or terrifying. thought, oh my gosh, I hope I don't get crushed. Or even but. sometimes my poor husband, I'm like, I know you're being cute here, maybe even a little sexy, but like, can you, you got to carry some of your own weight. <laughs> Use yeah. your thighs, man. Right. <laughs> then those knees. Put the knees into it. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Oh, hell. So one police officer did recognize his description from 15 years earlier yep. and um, from the observer. And that's how they were able to locate him so quickly. Eating the mac and cheese. Yep. Yep. So this is how this situation is handled. Okay. The judge ordered a stay away order. From a stay, your your face right now as a judge. That's just the PPO. He's not allowed in Oxford, Massachusetts. He has to stay away. We only care about the children in Oxford, Massachusetts. You have to stay away from there. Do you know how many times I've thought about? We can't do this. It's not legal. Just saying. Okay, now you have to leave the state of Michigan yes, and never come back. That'd be great. That'd That's be great. basically what they did. Oh, don't worry. It that happens. Hold on. Hold hold on to your robes, Judge Megan, because we're about to get into it even this more. This is incredible. He even had a written confession admitting that he intended to kill Michael. But what happens is that he is seen in front of one judge who issues a psychiatric evaluation before making a final determination. Okay, that's what one judge ordered. Okay. okay. And then somehow wires got crossed in administration and he gets seen in front of another judge the next day. And that judge immediately sends him to probation He is not even considered for a prison sentence. He is not ordered by that judge to do a psychological evaluation. Didn't know that he had been seen the day before from a previous judge. And so they put stipulations on, we will release you into the care of your mother with this deal. If you move him, this is something that Tyra worked out too. If you move him to Montana... Where his There's bro- no children there. None. Not that I know of. No kids in Montana. Because brother Bob lives in Montana. So between ty- 76-year-old Tyra, mom, and brother Bob, they are going to watch over in Montana this this pedophile and David. attempted murderer, David Brown. BB. Yep. BB nuts. Good old BB nuts. Um, okay. Now I want to title the episode that. Good old BB nuts. Good old BB nuts. Yeah. He, they say, like, and what's supposed to happen, Megan, as you know, being in in the justice system, in order to do this, they would have to get Montana's permission. For if he's being overseen there. Yep. If that is where they are ordering him, if that's part of the plea deal of I'm going to move to Montana and I'm going to do my probation that you're ordering for me they have into to Montana. It. Montana has to accept it. They do. And Montana has to know all the crimes that the person's committed before making that determination. Usually, yes. This is the important part. Mass is so it also he's a paroled a parole sex offender keep in mind you guys he did all this while on parole yeah from being released for 15 years send him back to prison on a right? parole violation right massachusetts it's been 43 days since he's yeah. been released 
No. So, which I think is where the other judge was going with the psychiatric evaluation and then sending him back to prison. Yes. But this judge that they got the next day didn't know that that's what was going on. And so it was just like, oh, okay, uh, parole violation. You're going to, oh, you guys are willing to move to Montana. We're going to issue an order saying you're not allowed in Oxford and you're going to you're, take your mom. You're going to go to Montana. But it's very important that you do this. When you leave this courtroom, you go down to our probation office and you report to them because they need to contact Montana and get this ball rolling. Do you know how many times people refuse to accept that invitation? Um, like every time? A lot. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. It's like during COVID when I was like, okay, so you need to report to jail Yeah. from Zoom at like 5 p.m. And then they don't. Yeah. And then I see them later when they get picked yeah, up on my warrant. I'm like... So right. what happened? Well, I was driving back from Coldwater. I'm like, well, it's a long drive. I hear it takes three weeks to get here. <laughs> right, right. Maybe by wagon. Yeah. No. So um, here we are. Needless to say, Tyra. Are we moving and, to Montana? And David, they do not go and report to probation. That's right. an, a key component in this. Right. Just to understand. They don't report to probation, but they do take the opportunity to say, let's get the hell out of Dodge. They absolutely are going to move to Montana with Bobby Bobo. Brother doesn't care for, Bob doesn't like David. Brother is not loving this situation. Are they moving in with him? Oh, hold, not yet. Okay. Just give me a second. He and his 76-year-old mother pack her car, pulling a U-Haul, full of all of his junk antique toys because remember remember how he got I thrown in prison yeah he was a flea market tentor you are not going to operate your flea market as part of your probation david well, his mom held on to all of his junk antique toys for 15 years while he was incarcerated i'm and sorry so they rent this u-haul and they have all of his boxes of all of his writings his scripture writings from prison all of his pen paling Okay, and they have to drive from Massachusetts to Montana, but wait for it. Here it comes. They have to go way out of their way to Arkansas first. What's in Arkansas, you might be I do because that's super far south. Sure is. Well, David's got to meet the woman that he's going to marry. Oh, he met her in prison as a pen pal. A pen pal named Sandy, who is about 10 years older than him. Okay. Yep. It's going to take him about a week to get there because he makes his mom stop at all the flea markets so that they can continue to add to his junk pile in that U-Haul and, of course, a ton of fast food stops. His mother, his 76-year-old elderly mother, drove the entire way because he had a headache. (laughs) So. I must come to my bride looking my best. Yes. I shall not have a headache. I cannot be driving. You peasant. How about a shower, David? That's a start. Mm, Maybe. Look at the way your dog just looked at me. (laughs) She's like, you judgmental bitch. I haven't had a shower since my last groom. (laughs) You don't have to have a shower. You look great. She's gorgeous. All right. So they left Arkansas or they they left on their way. They left Massachusetts to Arkansas. Okay. On August 29th, 1991. And they get there a week later. They meet Sandy. Uh, needless to say, everyone, Sandy's a bit surprised by the look of David because he hadn't exactly been honest about his description. What? And she had seen a photo, but it was like the selfie from the head up yeah. type photo. So she was um, 
a taken aback okay. by, by his But she's look. aware of what he's in there for. A lot of women are oh, when they meet their prison honey. pen pals. He is, she's only aware of what David has told her. Okay. Let's keep that in mind. This wasn't like looking things up on VineLink here now where you yes, can see what no, people are exactly. in. Exactly. And I did forget to mention, mostly because I don't care, but it was during his prison time of over those 15 years, sometime in the 80s, I think it was like 88, 87, something like that, is when he officially changed his name to Nathaniel Benjamin Levi Bar Jonah because he decided that he was Jewish. While he was in prison. While he was in prison and because he was God's special helper. I apologize to those of you out there of the Jewish faith that somebody did this. For sure. In the yep. name of your religion. Yep. Exactly. And perverted Judaism in some type of way. I just, yep. I am sorry to all of you. It is, it, it's It is no direct reflection. And I am not calling him Nathaniel Benjamin Wait, Levi I'm Bar sorry. Jonah. I have to stop now. So what you're telling me is he convinced the psychologist that he found Jesus, even though Jews don't recognize. Thank you. He was Jewish, but Thank he wasn't the, the Lord and Savior. There we go. So He's a little confused in his religious attributes, isn't I'd he? I'd say, I would say, I, I found, found Jesus, but, but he's but he's not the king of the Jews, and he's he's not a Christian savior. Correct. <laughs> Over all of this, that's exactly what I was thinking too. Like, wait a I minute. I can't even right his now. His mom hired these Christian psychiatrists. To a man who converted to, 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 to Judaism. Judaism. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. So, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm I don't sorry. give up. I don't give anybody up. here who is devoutly faithful. This has no reflection on you no, at all. Not, no, absolutely not. I don't, what a perversion. I frankly don't give a fook what this guy thinks that his name is. He's a genetic mutation. Did this and have something to do David though Brown. with his, um, with his girlfriend? Like, was there some type of a, a, a religious connection no, there? Not at all. Okay. No, no, no. So, but he had changed his name. She thought she was meeting whatever, whatever bar. Yeah. She thought she was meeting Nathan Benjamin Levi bar Yes, the, the the Lord and Savior himself, basically. Oh, God. Okay. Okay. It's Jewish. <laughs> right. That hasn't come yet. Right. It's odd. It's a very odd culmination. No, well, it's because he wasn't there yet. Yes. He's the guy. He's the one that needs to go. He's, he's there, but Jesus. He rolls He did up. find Jesus. He did. It's it was him. him. The whole time. I was here the whole time. <laughs> so they roll up to Arkansas. Okay. And Sandy has two boys. Eight and ten. That's why he wants you. Exactly. Those are, David even wrote in a letter that, oh my gosh, those are my favorite ages. Ew. Oh my God. And she didn't know what he was in there for? No. They live in a trailer in Arkansas, which means that there's not a lot of room for the boys, Sandy, David, and Tyra. So he offers to stay in the boys' room with them in their bunk beds because, you know, no premarital coital relations are allowed in the eyes of God, Megan. Now with women. Nope. So Tyra had to sleep or on adults. The... Well, and he's using his religious, you know, manipulations here. We can't sleep together. And his Sandy. Mom, his mom is still this old woman is still okay with all of this. She's taking him there. She She's knows. staying there. She's sleeping on the couch. While David is agreeing or is suggesting that he sleep with her children. So long story short, though, Sandy gets the vibe and she sends her kids to a relative a week after um, they arrived. She finally says, you know what, David? It's not going to work out. Love your mama, but this isn't going to work out. Yep. So there were 
in my understanding, there were still nights that he did sleep in the bunk bed with the boys, but it was short lived and she sent them to a relative's house. Basically at that point, probably just trying to figure out how the fuck to get rid of them. And I wonder if Um, they've never reported any type of sexual abuse. No. That we, that we're aware of. Not that I know. And she was interviewed for this book as well. The whole time, like he was demanded to be fed by her, like on an infant feeding schedule. Okay. Well, he was testing her wifey skills. Yeah. He refused to, to um, shower or brush his teeth and she could see how he treated his mother. And so all of those things, you know, um, coupled with the fact that he, in my notes, it said he did spend two nights with the boys and something that Sandy said in her interview, she will always ask the Lord's forgiveness for, but you know, there's a lot that can be said there. Yeah. I'll just, I'll just leave it, leave it hanging. Um, it takes them weeks to get to great falls, Montana. They made a lot of stops, stops where David would go out for hours at night unexplained and come back sweaty and gross. We will never know, but the question will always remain of who else did he harm on the way out to Montana. Right. Finally, mid-September. Remember they left August 28th. They arrive in Great Falls, Montana. His brother Bob helps So they take over two, maybe three weeks to get there. Yeah. His brother Bob helps unload the U-Haul, which was mostly David's scattered writings. Um, I would have burned the fucker. Well, by the way, he was going to be a journalist. So that's why they, because Bob was like, why do we have this stuff? And he's like, well, I'm going to be a journalist. These are all my writings from my time at Bridgewater. So there was also a bunch of broken toys for his antique shop that he was going to open. Bob suggested that they throw it all away in this upset, you know, this upset uh, tender feelings of Captain Sweaty Pits. And so they got into a fight like right off the bat when he first arrived. Yes. Yes. Good old BB nuts. Um, At this point in time, he is 34 years old. My apologies. I said earlier he was in his 40s. That comes later. Um. He, so he was in his 30s. He was in his 30s. He was 34 at this this time. It and Correction made. Yes. Bob was reaming his ass about how he needed to take responsibility. Like, you're 34 years old. Is Bob married or does he have a family at this Bob point? Bob does. Yep. At this point. Does he have any boys? No. Okay. Not that I know of. Not that was that was mentioned. He is married, but he does end up divorced. Oh. Um, But. Can't he, imagine this wasn't stressful on the marriage. Oh, well, I, that's. Yeah, that's just it. As soon as they arrived and they started unloading their stuff, because Bob has rentals, so that is where they're having a place to live, is in one of Bob's rentals, okay? And instead of helping unload his stuff, he wanted the U-Haul unhitched because he wanted immediately to take his his mother's car and drive around. So he couldn't drive the three weeks that it took them to get there because he had a headache, but immediately when they get there, he can suddenly drive. He's fine enough to drive, Right. Oh, so, it happens all the time. Yeah, he makes his it's rounds. It's a miracle. I'm, I'm healed. I've been healed. I'm healed. He makes his rounds and he ends up um, making friends at a local antique mall. And he had mapped out all the local schools that were Ew. on his way there. This he found, he actually really liked Min- Montana because the schools were much more conveniently located than they are back east because it took a lot of time and traffic to get from one to the other. Yeah. Not in Montana. No, there might be a stray bull. So this I couldn't find a lot of information on, but he ends up getting $6,000 from the state of Massachusetts 
because of something to do with his time at Bridgewater. Like, I don't even know what all that that entails of how there's a settlement of some kind there was and i <coughs> i don't know but he gets six thousand dollars but it's too bad that wasn't immediately confiscated and turned over to the victims for restitution right and court fines and costs and all of those good things oh no instead he bought up some guy's entire inventory of junk to rent his own space at the antique mall and then the very next day asks bob for fifty dollars and bob's like why do you need $50? You just got $6,000. He's like, oh, no, I spent all that on, on buying up my n- inventory. Then no. Right. Someone tell this man no. It just doesn't happen. All right. So he did wrote report to probation in Montana to Officer Michael Redpath, who was like, hey, who the F are you and what the F is going on? They weren't expecting him. No, because he never reported a probation right. there for yes. them to transfer. So they it. didn't know. Yep. And furthermore, Michael Red Redpath is like, not only were we not expecting you, but we never would have taken you. No, we don't either. accept that. That's mm-hmm. common. We yeah. don't do you don't do that very often. Yep. So it's gonna take <laughs> some time before parole officer Redpath here can even get the information that he needs to even know what he's dealing with. But here he is in Montana, living in Montana, right? It would take a a while before he's really put into contact with Massachusetts. And when they do contact them or, you know, Massachusetts, the only information that Montana gets is that he attacked a seven-year-old in the post office parking lot. He sat on him? Mm -hmm. When he was in Oxford. Montana does not know his entire his entire story in Massachusetts because Oxford never even knew it all before he was banned and left. Yeah, he has got to be getting something out of this sitting on pe- people crushing. Oh, most things. definitely, is, there has to be a sexual yes, motivation. A, there's there is and a power and control because that's really what he's lacking through all of this to his ego. He is nobody. He has no power. He has no. That's why he likes impersonating a police officer, yep. someone in authority. Absolutely. Yeah. Officer Redpath or parole officer Redpath does inform other local officers about him and was like, be on the lookout this guy with this guy. fucking yep. weird and he's crazy. Yeah. And now I'm about to make you dislike Tyra, I think a little bit. I didn't like Tyra much before Sharnel. Well, now it's gone. It's going to be gone. Because okay. January 1992, she suggests to David that he take up babysitting since he likes kids so much. No, Tyra, no. Can we try to say... Do you think there's anything just misfiring? Does she not believe that there's any sexual motivation? I think she's believing every word that her son has said his entire life and not able to pick up on the manipulation and the victimhood that he keeps himself in. Does Bob have any objections to this? Yeah, Bob doesn't like this, but Bob is, you know, 36 or 7 at this point in time, and... I mean, he moved to Montana. How much more a of a fuck. sign is it Grow that he a wants pair. to be? I'm sorry, Mom. If you're suggesting that my brother babysit kids after he's attempted to um, abuse well, them let's be, and kill them, get out of my house. Let's be fair to Bob. How do we know that Bob even knew any of the stories? Do people not know? It's 1992. Okay. They can't get the information except for Google whatever. Google is not readily no, accessible. What his mother is telling him, right? And it's not being, half of the shit's not even being reported. 
Yeah. So like, I think Bob probably likely had no real understanding. That that must be it. <sighs> so he does start to babysit. Okay. An eight-year-old boy for his friend. Um, he A friend he met at the flea market. Um, he was alone a lot with this child. Um, this friend's name was Jenny. All right. She gets herself a boyfriend and through the boy, the boyfriend did not like David being around the child. The boyfriend got the vibes. Good. All right. They're named in the book. I'm not going to name them like the okay. kid and the boyfriend and all this stuff. Um, but it's discovered, discovered after the boy's genitals were found red and swollen and with an infection that David had been sexually abusing this child. Instead of the police, Jenny calls Bob. And Bob is like, let me talk to him and let me have our pastor talk to him. No. You should also know that... Ministers are not meant to be dealing with criminal sexual conduct. I even see it in our small town. I know, but that's not your job. Tell me Mm -hmm. where in your schooling to become a... I went to a small liberal arts college where there is actually a divinity school right there. That is not something that you are trained to do. Hold up. There are some trainings that you have to deal with it, but it's called reporting it. Yeah, exactly. You want to counsel it away without calling the police. No, no. It still has to be reported to law enforcement. Seminary, not divination, yeah. by the way. This is not Harry Potter. It is not divination. <laughs> it was seminary. That's and okay. I apologize, but my mind was, I was angry. I'm angry you, now. At, I know. I can feel it. And I if Bob's out there someplace, I'm sorry. I'm angry with you. Yeah. I am I am personally in angry ni- with you. In 1992, <laughs> this is how he wanted to handle it. Okay. And again, this is where I think he didn't know the I'm sure full he comprehension of his history, I'm his sure brother's history. I'd like to know how they explained away his um, 15 years in prison for, you know. Attempted heart, murder. Exactly. Of children. Mm-hmm. But anyway. You should babysit. Yep. And so now. Circles with kids and napping. And now you've been caught sexually abusing a little boy. And so hold on as the big brother, I'm going to talk some sense into him and I'm going to have our pastor talk to him. You should know that soon after arriving into town, David did join the assembly of God church and was allowed to sell his toys in the church basement. And he also was the Sunday school teacher. So Bob, I know I see your face. I know No, you can't cause it's covered up. <laughs> well, I mean, I see your gestures and your eyeballs. I'm literally like reading your mind. I'm like literally have my hands over my mouth to keep myself from talking. So Bob tells the boy's mother, let's have the good pastor, Pastor Dahl, D-A-H-L, talk some sense into him and she agrees. So the the bastard, well. Oh my God. The pastor. Oh my God. Excuse my Freudian slip. Sorry. I'm, you know, words are hard. I've been at this for like three hours. Oh my God. So the pastor does tell him, okay, you cannot do Sunday school anymore, but you can still sell your toys in the basement. Supervised? I have no idea about that. I don't know that information. Well, due to the phone bills and long distance calls, the (laughs) pastor makes the call to the police instead of the mom. Pastor Dahl is like, we got to report this to the police. And Thank the mom you. is like, I actually don't have enough money to do that because it would be long distance for me. Can you do this? So he does. I I kind of like this pastor. Well, I mean, that is He, he did what he was yeah, supposed to. Exactly. Bob also reassured mom, Jenny, that his brother would get counseling. Okay. In prison, where he belongs. <laughs> the police officer assigned to the case 
the he you know did an interview with the child the child told the story all right and he said that the reason that he let it go on for so long the child is because he likes david and he didn't want david to go to jail that's very normal yeah super normal so he's arrested january 19th 1994 okay the year before i graduated from high school yes but also like a long time after this, this had been, I mean, it started, the abuse started in 1992. 92. Yep. Abuse started, he started babysitting the child in 1992. It did take the child quite some time to actually disclose and have those Normal. issues. Right, right, right. So here we are, he's arrested and he tells the police that he blacked out and doesn't remember any of it. All those years? You blacked out for all those years? There's no idea. The child's mother... Jenny wrote the court and said that she wished that he would receive probation and counseling, but she doesn't want her child to have to testify. He was evaluated, but since everything he told them was a lie, he was diagnosed with, this is going to piss you off. He was diagnosed with PTSD from the sexual assault that he had endured when he was 10 years old that in the didn't woods. didn't happen. That never happened. You have PTSD from the story you made up in your head. Yep. And that's why you sexually assaulted this eight-year-old boy? Okay. Who, who was not your first victim? No. And where is all that in the report? They don't where have, are all his priors? They don't have that information from Massachusetts. There's The states are not talking. The states are They're not, not talking. talking. And what's starting to bother me is that as we keep saying things like, well, this is the 70s, this is the 80s, this is the 90s, this is the later 90s, the mid-90s. Yeah, it's 1994 They're now. They're fucking talking they now, talk. Charnel. Yeah. They can talk. Well, this is interesting, Megan. <coughs> he sat waiting for a trial from Janu- being arrested January 19th, 1994 until May 29th, 1996. Not, so two that's not years. Sho- that's not shocking. No, two years and four months after his arrest, and he could not post bond because it was so high. They did put the bond high. Good. Um. So they what they ended up doing is doing a deferred prosecution agreement, but nothing was ever done with this agreement. So his public defender saw the opportunity to file for a lack of a speedy trial and to have yep. the charges dismissed, and so they were. Yep. Someone so now screwed. Someone up. screwed up big time, and now it's 1996, and he's free. I mean, take a little grain of of happiness that he did spend two years and four months there, making friends. There was a lot of, but grotesque. it got dismissed for a constitutional violation. There was a lot of disgusting stories, by the way, about him having sex with his his uh, inmates and disgustingness. Like he during learned, this time that he's lodged, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he learned all about Montana, and uh, he was he was roomed with, or, or shall we say, celled with um, other pedophiles in the area, and it does nothing but really like get him in the game. Okay, okay. once so he's on the outside, he was having a really great sexual experience while he was incarcerated. Yeah, and the the reason there's so many stories about it available is because. They didn't attempt to hide it at all. So the guards were traumatized from what they witnessed, for sure. Yeah, they're walking by seeing the, some spray them down or something. Well, right. And uh, and sometimes there was even like multiple of them. They just It was just weird how the universe brought all of these men together, truly. All right. So what he starts doing is helping kids on and off the bus, bringing them treats and toys each day. Wait, this day. is after he this gets released? After. This is after. There's still no... Ordered. Oh my God. No, no. He's making his rounds to different schools 
And he would even like parole. This is so awful. He would even parole some of the schools as a volunteer police officer in his police uniform. No one, they just walked into the, he walked into these buildings and no one questioned why he was there. Yes. Yep. Talking to a kid, to kids, talking to adults, being as friendly as ever. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Teachers thought that he was a volunteer. They didn't question this because they thought that he was a volunteer. Everyone was just kind of like, oh, I think he's supposed to be here. And that's how that, that has how that happens. Um, so when he was in jail, I told you he met some, some people. He met another pedophile named Doc. They became best friends. They bonded over their love of sexually abusing little boys. Oh. So Doc, who his game was that he would like to um, take in like downtrodden boys of the street and give them a meal and a warm bed. And all he wanted in return was love. Yeah. Love that as is, in physical. Yep. That's Child his, molestation. Yes, that's his hook, line, and sinker. And he wanted to teach David how to evolve in his pedophilia. And literally, they start meeting at a, at a stereotypical, like, seedy bar in town, in town called the Hi-Ho. Oh, for fuck's sake. To discuss how they could groom boys. Doc also told everyone in Great Falls that he had a PhD, and he would dress the part, just like David would dress in his police getup. Isn't that interesting? Oh my gosh, I just realized I put in my notes. Fucking wild how, to me, how the universe brought these two together. Right? I said it earlier. Like, oh, I guess I must have been thinking it when I was writing these notes too. I, I'm, I'm at a loss. So Doc considered himself a champion of the men who loved boys and was a member of NAMBLA, Nambala, which is an organization created in 1979 of pedophiles who want to normalize men loving boys. Oh no. Yeah. Yes. I saw a uh, SVU on this. Yeah. Yeah. It's a real thing. It is. Mm -hmm. I know. I know. Anyway, they take up a cause. Um, So what's interesting is that these two were actually at Bridgewater together, but they didn't meet at that time. And they didn't realize that they were locked up like they were, that they were at Bridgewater together until they were locked up together in Montana. Isn't that fucking wild? It is. So what I'm getting at here is that David was a frequent at Doc's house where they lured boys off the streets to sexually groom and abuse them. And also used one another for their own sexual favors as well. Um, all while, you know, retailing all the boys that they knew um and and had abused okay so they're they're this is like a sex trafficking right it is it is and they're just loving every moment of it later during interviews doc said that strangulation always came up as a topic of hot interest for david in his as his gross life continues in 1995 he starts working at um uh, that is not correct my apologies because it wasn't he wasn't released until 1996 when he gets out, 1996, that was a typo. Okay. He starts working at Hardee's. Um, and if you look this case up, you're going to see. Fast food joint. Yeah, you're going to see headlines with information like Hardy, Hardee's employee murdering kids and stuff like that. But this started way before he actually started at Hardee's, okay. you know, his crimes. While working at Hardee's, he meets a woman named Pam. They, up, they end up bonding over religion. Okay. Pam practices Santerra or... The Santeria, the way, mm, maybe, yes, yeah, it is. What did I say? I have Santeria. it. They probably spelled it wrong. I st- I spelled it wrong in this paragraph, and then in the next one, it is spelled correctly. Yeah. Okay. But so, he's a Christian Jew. 
Yes. A Jewish Christian? She's, I don't know. She's teaching him the way Santeria. of the saints. Okay. Yep. yep. Others call it voodoo, things yep. like that. Um, but he would question her for hours about, you know, if she sacrificed. It's Catholic based. Yeah. Well, what he really wants to know is, do you sacrifice animals as part of your rituals? Because right. she said that she was a high priestess of this religion. Right. She my was, God, it's like my Clementine Barnabas case. It, it is. It is a bit. But he really isn't interested in the religion itself. He's interested in the kids. He wants to know the gruesomeness. Like, are okay. you sacrificing babies? Are you sacrificing animals? Anyway, the two start dating. And Pam... Sounds like a recipe for love. Pam was described as an overweight woman who never stopped talking made she made that's how that was not my description of her people that's okay that pers- i'm starting to take it personally <laughs> someone else's description <coughs> <coughs> megan i'm starting to take it personal yeah so she um she made some observations about the family first she and david never touched and they never had sex even though they were dating sometimes they would sleep in the same bed but he would tell her to stay on her own side um Pam did not like Bob. She felt like Bob tried to control everyone's life and his wife, Jill, especially. And whenever They're all living in his house. Well, his rental. Yeah. Whenever she and, and David would have dinner with Bob and Jill, um, Tyra was always there and Jill and Bob would argue. Pam would tell David to slow down eating and Tyra would interject and tell her to leave him alone because this is how he always ate. Can you picture this mama jumping it? Don't tell him how to eat when she's like, whoa, you should really slow down. Don't tell him how to eat. This is how he's always ate. Doesn't mean it's right, Tyra. Anyway, it's worked out real well for him, Tyra. Yeah. So she started. He's the picture of health. (laughs) She started to notice that he would never touch her, but he would always be touching and interacting with little boys every chance he got. At work, he would go sit with the mothers who brought their kids in and touch them playfully and bring them extra toys. The manager eventually intervened and told him to stay away from the kids because some parents had complained. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's me. I'm the parent. David. And also, I would have been arrested. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, that. this is not okay. Yeah, that's right. I'm sitting here as a as a judicial official telling you I would have been arrested for assault if someone if did so, that to yeah, my if child. Somebody, if a, an employee of the restaurant you're eating at came and sat down and started touching, touching your, your child? child. No. So, and she only, he only preyed on single mothers, by the way. Okay. He would never approach a child that was with a father or had a, a dual parenting. Okay. So Got it. he told Pam when he was like, oh, I can't talk to the kids anymore because this is what the man, you know, the manager said they'd complain. He told Pam that he'd shoved the manager into the freezer to shut him up. What? Yeah, that didn't happen. Um, oh, he made that up too. One yes. of his, one of his delusions. Yeah. We're heroic, heroic mm-hmm. delusions. Yeah. He proposed to Pam in an uneventful way, and when Tyra offered to pay for the wedding dress, David said, no, the bride is supposed to pay for it. Then he asked his mother for the money that she was going to give Pam for the dress, and he was pissed when his mom refused, saying that that um, he needed it to buy more antique toys for the kids. She's like, no, I offered the money for the wedding dress. And you won't let me use it for the money. Right. Pam also noticed the way that David obsessively watched cartoons all day long and talked to the characters like he was a part of the show. She also took note that after the local disappearance of a boy named Zachary Ramsey, he was even more touchy with little boys and told her that someone had probably cut him up into a million pieces and spread him out in the woods where he would never be found. What? 
Let me tell you a little bit about this. February 6th, 1996, a 10-year-old boy named Zachary Ramsey was 4'6", weighed 85 pounds with dark hair, dark complexion, and lived in Great Falls. He went missing and still has never been found. David is considered a suspect, but I actually am going to cover Zach's case on the next episode in full. Okay. Because I feel that he deserves his own episode, and we don't know for certain, for certain because he's still missing. I don't want his case getting lost within these two episodes, um, so I wanted to do his case in a direct, in its own deep dive. Awesome. Okay, so... But just know that at the time that Zach went missing, Pam and him were engaged and she recognized that he acted different. And that was the statement that he made. Okay. So anyway, it should be noted that between January 26th and February 16th, which Zach went missing February 6th. um, So right in this time, Tyra was gone. She was in Massachusetts for her sister's funeral. Okay. Her daughter still lives in Mass, right? I think I think that Lois does. Okay. I'm not sure. She's not really a big part of. I don't know that she wanted to be a big part of Good for the you, interviews Lois. in this. During this time, David kept entirely to himself, and it was February 6th that Zach went missing. Pam was not allowed in his apartment and would not talk to her. When he did throw open the door, he would scream at her to leave him alone. This is his fiance. Remember, and she's like cool. Well, I don't think that, that Pam had the best self-esteem. I wouldn't think so. Possibly and cognitively impaired. I was just going to say, she, sure. she missing some screws there? Maybe, maybe. He showed back up again February 17th, the day after his mom returned to Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Um, in spring 1996, Pam opened some of David's mail. There were three yearbooks from Great Falls of kids that he does not know. Pam questioned him about this, and he became enraged that she was going through his things. He also just randomly was, like, talking to, I I guess, like, residents. I don't know. There was was this one woman whose house burnt down, and he went to go give the little, her son, a toy, and he made mention during that exchange that, you know that kid, Zach Ramsey? They'll never find his body. It's gone. So she's just like Ugh. doing these, th- you know, he's just going around doing these things. Um, he started doing puppet shows for kids in one of Bob's garages. And then he would even shelter himself in there and not speak to his mother for weeks at a time. He also started. Oh, yeah, he was playing with his puppet in there. Uh-huh. No, he was trafficking Children. downtrodden yeah. teens off the street. <coughs> with a puppet show. Mm-hmm. He also started to do antique road shows, sort of speak, all on his own for long periods of time. So, like I said, there's a lot of time that he went unaccounted for throughout his life. Apparently. July 1997, he decides it's time for him to get his own place finally. With his fiance? Um, th- hold on. It's coming. Tyra decided that he could give it a try. He must be special to the Lord if the Dark Lord always worked so hard to corrupt her son. The Dark Lord. Uh-huh. That'd be the devil. Yeah, I'm, I'm aware. Oh, you've met him? <laughs> yeah. We, I think we all just did. Yeah. Yeah, so she's like, okay. And, and she's buying into all of this. He is God's special child. Yeah. So in August 1997, Pam gets evicted from her apartment because the smell of candles and the screaming of animals had gotten too many complaints by the neighbors. 
I don't practice Santa. So <laughs> Tyra and I do Pam, not own the rights to that music. <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a classic uh, rendition so of it. Tyra and Pam think that this is the perfect time for them to start living together. Of course it is. When homelessness becomes an issue, that is always the time. Tyra and Pam are both like, I know. Because in in Tyra's eyes, it's not a sin because they're engaged. Sure. LOL. Like we're worried that that's the the biggest sin your kid has committed so far, Tyra. Mm -hmm. So in September, he does finally agree and he lets Pam move in. But he has his own bedroom and he locks the door and anytime that he leaves and he tells her that she's not allowed in it because, you know, sin and all. Then something even more more bizarre happens. Really? Yes. I believe. I know. I know. I don't even. Her look. She's actually just given up. She's like, I know. I'm just let me get this out. It's so bad. Um, At the antique mall, David meets a woman named Sherry. Sherry Dietrich. She was on her way to Walla Walla, Washington. I love that. I love that I finally got to say it on the podcast, um, where she had a kid there. So she was down on her luck and homeless. They talked for a long time, and David invited her to live with him and Pam. So sweet. Just like that. Pam on is going to be super excited. Pam has been engaged to him for over a year and just moved in. But this woman, this Sherry, met one day, hey, you want to come live with us? So Pam arrives home. To Sherry answering her door, inviting her in her own place, and they've never met. I love this. <laughs> Pam told David... It's the, it's the sex offender version of Three's Company. Yeah, basically. Pam told David she's not okay with this. No. And David, Hey, asshole. And David's like, if, well, if you don't like it, you can leave. Yeah, so they get into a fight. David doesn't want to be engaged. No, of course not. He doesn't even like women. No. Crying out loud. Adult women. No, right. Adults in general. Anything. Yeah, he likes little boys. That's it. So they get into a fight that ends with Pam sobbing in the parking lot. After David drove away, she was begging him not to leave her. Like I said, she's got some self-esteem things going on, girl. She eventually noticed that it was raining, so she aimlessly picks herself up, walks across the street to the hospital that was across the street, and she ended up falling asleep in a patient's room in a chair, and she woke up to a nurse telling her that visiting hours are over. There was a patient in the room. Well, at least they got some company that day. Uh, Just picturing this man in a coma, and she's just Uh sitting there snoring. Yep, exactly. So when David returned, Sherry was still at the apartment. And of course, David told her, sit down um, at the table with me. I want to talk to you about a kid that went missing last year. His name is Zach Ramsey. Sherry had never heard of Zach. And I'm going to give you details of this conversation in the Zach Ramsey case that I'm covering next. But let's just say that he tells her he that what when he tells her David it, it like convinces her that David is not right and had something to do with this child's disappearance. Okay. okay. Um, so I like your instinct, Sherry. Yeah. Shetty. After moving in, Sherry noticed that every time David made his special sp- spaghetti sauce for his church friends and neighbors, as he often did, no, he would defrost meat in the microwave and it always smelled so no. foul that it nearly made her sick. You bitch. <laughs> I buried the lead. You did. There's fucking cannibalism. Do you want to know what the name of the books are now? Yeah. Eat the Evidence. Okay. That's why I didn't tell you before. (sighs) 
So here we are. Give me the evidence. Anybody else not wanting spaghetti anytime soon? That's what I was going to make tonight. I know. I was actually feeling pasta myself, but I forgot about this particular Can I make some pierogies and cabbage? (laughs) Cabbage. Oh, my God. Cabbage smells so disgusting. I love it, though. (laughs) Me too, but it does cover the Cover the odor of whatever Uh. this is in my soul. (laughs) (laughs) Good call. All right. So when he, when Sherry's like, dude, that stinks. He's like, you know what? You need to mind your own business if you don't like the smell. Mm-hmm. So he disappears for some long periods of time. Mm-hmm. And he comes back with a lot of ground meat. Yeah. Oh, this is this is good, too. Sherry sees him reading the school lunch menu. No. And he claims that he's a chef, and he just wants to make sure that the school kids are getting a balanced diet. Now he's a chef? Now, remember, he fries chicken at Hardee's. Okay. <laughs> he is a chef. You know what? That's They pay good money now. Yeah. Well, Sherry gets nosy. So she breaks into his bedroom one day. I love it. The smell was so much worse in there. She opens the closet and a shoe hit her on top of the head. So she went to go put it back and she discovers gloves covered in dirt and blood. She also sees an oily rope um, tied in a figure eight in a piece of plywood with stab marks and blood. So she's scared now. She decides to leave, and she notices a police badge on the dresser. Yeah. Now, the problem with this is that a couple of weeks earlier, when David wanted to tell her about the missing child, Zach Ramsey, he told her an elaborate story that I'm going to detail for you in that episode about how there was a pedophile on the loose posing as a police officer. Yeah, me, him, he was the guy. Right. And sh- and he I have told- to tell you a story about a bad guy I know. And he told her Asking that for a friend. this police officer picked Zach up. <coughs> okay. Mm-hmm. And now she's seeing this badge. Yeah. So Pam, who did come move back into the apartment. Because she's that. Because she's homeless. Desperate. Yeah. So Sherry shows Pam the next day and some boys clothing that she found in that closet. Pam can't hardly believe all of this. Really can't you? Can't you, Pam? <laughs> Come on, Pam. Pammy, Pammy, Pam, Pam. He arrives home early, startling them, and basically Sherry continues to live with him for a few more days before she decides that it's time for her to pack up and Well, you got to do this calmly. Like, I have no problem with anything that I saw. It's no big mm-hmm. deal. But and then on the inside, know, I'm, starting, you're screaming. I'm starting to look for another place. And dude, I would have left immediately. Mm-hmm. Yes, but we're two cognitively rational people. Well, yeah, that's true. So I he, mean, most days. At this time, more, right, right, right. I mean, in this moment, right Currently. Now, yeah. So he goes on a road trip for a for a night, and a 14-year-old girl who was often mistaken for a boy went missing on her bike. Uh, that sounds eerily familiar. Mm-hmm. Sherry noted that David was in a better moved, mood when he arrived back home from his road trip. He took his, he took his sorry, he took his mom's car because she was out of town for a family wedding that she and Bob attended, that Dave was not invited to. And this pissed him off, by the way, that he was not invited. Turns out the rest of the family He's not had coming. boundaries up with Dave. Well, because he acted so well at the funeral of his father right, 20 exactly. years ago. All right. So um, what ends up happening is he has, and Sherry finds this, hundreds of photos of kids that he cut out their heads and put them in baseball car- like card binders and stared at them for hours. But just their heads. Just their heads. And that Pam sucks and because you look for both. child sexually abusive material and some people call it child pornography and there's nothing illegal about cutting kids' heads out. 
No. I mean, human and heads, he, no, but out right. of magazines. Yes, out of, and that's what he, that's yeah, what he had done. He, that's what he was doing with like those yearbooks. Yeah, he's masturbating to like the J.C. Penny catalog. Yep. He also was taking photos, sending them to Massachusetts to be developed and having them mailed back to him. Okay. Yep. So he had all of those too. Ah, the days before Shutterfly. Now here's, here's what's really interesting. You want to know how he ends up throwing Sherry out of the apartment? Please, please tell me. He finds her tarot cards. Her and Pam are sitting one day having a chit chat and in her luggage, she had tarot cards. She was going to get them out and do a yeah. fun reading for Pam. And he was like, that is the devil's work. He knows you practice Santeria when you no, let her live. that's Pam. Oh, Sherry. Sherry. Oh, so Pam's allowed to be pagan. Oh, sorry. The girls <coughs> wanted to say hello, apparently. Pam's allowed to be pagan, but Sherry's not? Sherry is not allowed to, to read tarot. No, not not at all. Okay. Um, Starting to rain. So then... I think that's why the girls were barking. I bet they heard it. Yep. All right. So then um, when he, when she, bleh, when David throws Sherry out, she calls the police. All right. Because she had actually found um, Officer Buscelli's card left on his door the day that Zach Ramsey went missing. So he want, he was a person of interest. He was. Right they away. wanted to talk to him. Right away. But he never resp- He was never around and he never oh. responded. And he didn't even get that card, actually, no. because... All good de- defense attorney advice will be do not, if you're guilty, respond yes. to the police officer's card. Exactly. So she does tell him the whole story of what David told her about the day that Zach went missing. And what about she this saw. police officer. Exactly. What she saw in the home. All that. I will note that... Um, Belushi, that's the name of the, I know, the, the officer, Officer Belushi. I'm so happy right now. He did request a search warrant after Zach went missing twice, but was denied both times. Just no probable cause. How do you connect it? Yeah. Was this enough to get PC? Well, you they tell actually me the next thought, story. Yeah, they actually thought that it sounded so crazy that um, they did not see the need to follow up with any of it. Oh, that hurts. And Sherry left town. Yeah. Yep. So anyway, I'm not going to end up in the freezer smelling weird in the microwave. No. After Sherry leaves, it gets real, real tumultuous for Pam and David. So she decides it's time for her to end their relationship. Okay. And plus, she'd also fallen fallen in love with a man named Ron from church who actually slept with her, unlike David. Oh, so he David told people that he dumped her because she wanted to have a three way with Sherry. Oh, that's not true at all. He dumped her because he fell. She fell in love, or she dumped him. Excuse me, I botched because she fell in love with somebody who wanted to be physically intimate with an adult woman. Yes, yes, the shock, the horror. Instead, he's like, "Yeah, I dumped her because she wanted to have a nasty three-way with Sherry," which in itself should have been a red flag for another man to be like. So your fiance wanted to bring another woman into your relationship, and you ended it. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Lucky. (laughs) Some guys have all the luck. (coughs) I did not mean to kill you with that. You did. You did. I've been doing good not coughing. So David decided to start stalking her and to egg her car. Okay? Because he's pissed. He does care enough that he's... Well, it's ego. His ego is damaged. Oh, okay. Okay, he doesn't care enough, but his ego does. And so she moves in with Ron... And after they were living in a motel for like a week and he did that, that stalking and whatnot. So then she moves in with Ron. And then at that point in time, 
he's done because we, now we've entered another man, right, that could potentially harm him. Because at the end of the day, he's nothing but a blob of weakness. He didn't have the perfect victim anymore. Yep. Um, and I will say this about Pam, that Ron, her and Ron did not work out, and she went to uh, Virginia Beach where she had um, family, and David... Or she recalls that David was probably the love of her life because although he may have killed that boy, he at least didn't treat her like crap. Okay. So there's that. That's sad. Yep. I'm very S- sad for you, Pam. So now David takes a lover named Barry. Oh, he realizes that yeah, he likes maybe, men. Maybe well, women he's known aren't this for him. Yep. He had no place to stay and was desperate. He even got Barry a job at Hardy's. Now, Barry later says the smell of rancid meat... What Barry assumed was deer meat was hard for him to accept at first um, because he is not a hunter. And so he, he found the smell to be really offensive. Um, offensive. Yep. And, and um, David just told him that that, that that was just deer meat. And he's like, I actually really find the smell refreshing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then there is a graphic detailing of a sexual encounter that Barry had with David that I will not take us all through, but we're just going to know that he tied him up with a rope. He strangled him to the point of nearly murder during sex. And um, And this was not consensual. Well, it was. No, it was. But it it concerned Barry. Okay. It crossed one of his little lines in there someplace. Like I gave you consent to do this, but now I regret it. Yep. Yep. Not bring me to the point of almost passing out and then you know bringing me back and also in that interview that he did he did make note of how disappointed of, of how small that uh, david's penis was so there's that <laughs> he was disappointed in david's he, he was he was bb nuts was Just like was daddy complex again mm-hmm. all right so now it's christmas 1998 and a family moves into the upstairs apartment um her name this this family's name was, sorry, I had to stop because I actually thought it was a typo, but it's not. Um, Lori Bigleggins, her children <laughs> Roland Johnson and Stormy Ackerman, and her husband Gerald. Also Lori's sister Tanya Bigleggins and Tanya's son Stanley all lived in a small two-bedroom apartment above David. Okay. Yeah. I, I apologize because I just was like, wait, did I, was that a... A typo, because sometimes I have really stupid typos in here, right. but no, that's no. her name. I imagine she's Native American in yep. heritage. Um, so Lori was five feet, 350 pounds, so it was difficult for her to move around comfortably, and so she allowed her kids to kind of run wild. Mm-hmm. Um, those were actually her words, and that they, they were often doing that. Right. Running wild, all right? They first noticed the smell from coming from David's apartment, but they could not figure out where it was coming from. And the manager told her that the carpets probably just needed to be cleaned. And David stinks. Yeah, exactly. She first met David on the day that they moved in. He held the door for her and said that he was headed to his mother's for a big Christmas dinner, but he would help her move her things in if he needed when he returned. He was delighted to see her boys and even offered them some of his toys for a Christmas gift. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, Lori was fond of the local casino where she could drink and smoke and play Keno. <laughs> and Dad, Gerald, uh, Gerald worked nights at a refinery. David told her that he noticed they aren't home a lot, and he offered to look after the boys. How generous. Babysitter of the year. Yeah. 
Uh, he told her that he was a manager at Hardee's and had a successful um, antique business and was involved in undercover police work that he was not allowed to talk about. <laughs> but that's why I sometimes have a badge. Yeah. Lori's kids were, and sometimes why you see me coming and going in a police officer uniform from this apartment. Covered in blood with dirty gloves. Right. Smelling like me. Now, Lori's kids were cognitively impaired and required special education classes. Oh, God. Something that David used to his advantage yeah. and, of course, started grooming the kids under the guise that he was giving them a friendly ear and life advice. The three boys were there all the time, which Barry did not like. They were obnoxious. They made messes. They were eating them out of house and home. Mm-hmm. Carrie, um, a, another woman, Carrie Wynn, lived next door to David's apartment, and she did not like David. She saw all the boys going and coming from all hours of the night in his apartment and heard things through the thin walls. Oh. But when her own son told her, came to her and said that the fat man next door um, would not leave him alone, she had had enough. She had, she, uh, he had the ball. Sorry. He had the ball? No. Just one? He had been rolling a ball to him constantly <laughs> trying to get him to come into his apartment to play. How old is this guy? Um, the, her little boy, it Mm -hmm. doesn't, it didn't say. Okay. Yep. So her husband told David that he is too old to be playing around with kids and to leave his own kid alone. David bumped his fat chest into Mr. Martin and backed him into a brick wall, threatening him and put like a thumb and forefinger on his throat and threatened to kill him if he ever comes near his kid again. Good. So that is what the husband did to This is David. why he doesn't mess around with people that have spouses around. Exactly, exactly. And he did leave them leave that kid alone after that. Mr. Martin had been a sergeant in the army and wasn't going to allow David to try and bully him and David didn't stand a chance against him. The family did find a new place to live a couple of weeks later. They weren't going to stay there. Um before leaving, Carrie Martin did try to warn Lori Big Leggins about David. She told her, or and then um, Lori was like, "You've got him all wrong. He's a good man. He watches my kids all the time, and he even helps me pay my rent sometimes." Mm. Hmm. Classic. So, one day, Stanley's over at uh, his apartment, and at David's apartment, and oh, okay, David put Stanley in a headlock and was rubbing his knuckles on top of his head really hard to the point of making the child cry. And then he release him, releases him, but suddenly started to choke him. Okay. So Roland sees this, one of the other brothers. Whoops, just hit myself in the face with the microphone. So it that's happens. Cool. Um, so Roland interjects and gets David to stop. And David after realizing he lost his composure, yells at the boys that it's time for them to go home. So Gerald was home, and Roland tells him what David had done to Stanley. He was furious. He went down to David's apartment, slamming his fists on the door. David wouldn't answer. Mm -mm. When Lori got home, Gerald told her that the boys are never allowed to go over there again. There were marks on Stanley's neck from the choking incident. Lori said that Stanley must have been a really... It must have been a really bad boy for such a nice guy like David to do something like that. And that the marks would go away in a couple of days and he should have come and talked with her first before putting hands on her kids. But he must have been being naughty. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. So on October 13th, 1999, David was seen outside in an elementary school for the third time in a week. He was wearing a dark blue jacket and a knit cap and was carrying two cans of pepper spray, a toy gun, and a badge. A school official finally fucking calls the police to report him. Uh, Amazing. So Officer Belushi and and Attorney General charge David with impersonating a police officer. Good. And for carrying a concealed weapon. Okay. A judge approved a search warrant on December 15th, 1999 for impersonation objects in both... Tyra's home and his apartment. Okay. Police found two coats, one dark blue and another with a toy badge in the pocket, a second toy badge, a stun gun, and a baseball cap reading security enforcement. Okay. So they found the fruits of what they thought that they would. Yep. And probably other things also. During the search, they also found a pulley on the ceiling in David's kitchen. Yep. Two albums with cutouts of children a document about knots and bondage, and an article entitled um, Autoerotic Asphyxia. Asphyxia. It's Asphyxia. hard. It's so hard. I can't. I can't. It's hard. And we're four hours into recording today. I'll cook it was a around. terrible pun. It's just so bad. <laughs> I mean, but it just is what it is. So this is four years after Zach Ramsey went missing, before mm-hmm. they start looking into a possible connection more with David Please and Please tell Zach. me they went and got a second search warrant. Um, well, or this, that this didn't come up as an issue because when you have a search warrant to find things regarding to identify, uh, impersonate a police officer, but then you come in there and you start finding evidence of a kidnapping or a missing child, you really, really, really need to correct the search warrant. Well, what they really start doing, no, they, they've got their search warrant okay. for, you know, the stuff they have the, the stuff, stuff that, that they, they have found. yeah but they do start actually investigating where they're able to determine that david had access to his mother's off-white four-door 1978 toyota corolla the day that the that zach disappeared and that his mother and brother were out of town for a funeral and later we will hear in zach's case that there were witnesses that saw that same vehicle okay Okay, in that in that area approaching him. Um, it was also determined that David did not work on February 6th, 1996, nor on the days immediately after. So, two days later, Belushi was granted a second search warrant for any documents and photographic material. Yes. While searching his apartment, they found a list of 54 boys' names called, the list was titled Lake Webster. Really? That's back in Massachusetts. It is. Which were later identified as boys, as boys, real boys from David's time in Massachusetts. That had been missing or just real boys that existed? Real boys that existed. Three of whom David was convicted of abducting. Okay. In the, you know, in the 1970s. Right, right, right. And he had their names and then like statements behind them. And they did on this list find the name Zachary Ramsey, followed by the word died. All right. Furthermore, there were dozens of newspapers clippings that were found in his apartment following the Ramsey case, as well as 3,500 photographs of children and underdeveloped films containing sexual images of David and three unidentified boys were also recovered. Authorities so also, there was child sexual abuse of material. Absolutely. Okay. 
Authorities also found a pulley on which a rope, cord, or chain could be connected, and the pulley was attached to the ceiling in his kitchen, as I mentioned. Um, sorry, that was repetitive. Those are the times that people wouldn't be allowed in his house because he was doing some butchery. Yeah, exactly. Um, remember Sherry, the former roommate? Mm-hmm. Well, this is where she's now finally contacted to, by the police, and she tells of how she described finding clothes in his apartment, which appeared to match those of what Zach Ramsey was wearing and the day that he disappeared, in addition to bloody gloves. When they interview Pam, she informs them that David sometimes spontaneously brought up up the boy, Zach, in conversations, once a few days before he disappeared, and another time when he said that Ramsey would never be be found because he had been chopped up and parts scattered in different places. (sighs) Investigators also found notebooks with seemingly arbitrary characters which were believed to be coded writing. With the help of the FBI and after months of effort, the writing was decoded in the notebooks where David was described torturing and eating children. There was also like macabre recipes involving children's body parts. And he wrote this. Mm-hmm. This was his own, his own special code writing. After examining the Lake Webster list, Great Falls Police Sergeant John Cameron and FBI agents James Wilson discovered that two of the names were those of young youngsters who resided in the apartment directly above David's current place in Montana, Stanley and Roland. So they were listed as they well. They were on the list, yep. Even though they were on the Lake Webster list, they were still on the list. Yeah, but so was Zach. Mm-hmm. He was. So he's adding to his list. Yep. Um, then the two youngsters were recognized in pictures taken using disposable cameras that were found during the searches. Um, they he were, was grooming and abusing them. Well, they were images of them being abused. Okay. And and, abu- and they so David's lying on his bed naked with his penis showing in various stages of erection, if that's what we can call it. I, erection's a very strong word. And this is where you, For his those, penis. those pictures are in um, the book, and then you have no warning that they're coming. So I just want you to know that. Oh, that, that you got to see is. those with no warning. Also, uh-huh. they didn't put the images of child. No, God, no. Okay. The Im- the image was just of David lying on his side and taking having. But I wonder how he feels like like to be victimized having, by having his adult photography placed on there. Well, there's belief that it in the various <clears throat> pictures that they found some they believe zach actually took of him too really? not just the two boys that lived upstairs but also zach mm-hmm. his his hand can be seen in one of the pictures so we get we get to it in the next episode i know um so one and i'm actually i'm doing it as its own episode it's not like a three-parter okay like, zach's episode is his own episode just so you know i don't want him tied like Sure. You know, being a, a part of this, these. So, um, one but of it is, you've made it for I, us. I mean, it is, it is, yes, but I want him on a standalone I episode. See. One of the boys acknowledged that David um, had sexually molested him, okay, when they were so big legging, Mrs. Big Leggins, yep. um, her, one of her children. Additionally, he disclosed information about how David had also sexually assaulted his cousin, um, which was collabor- you know, cooperated as well. Basically, what would happen is any time that they would stay over at his place, he, you know. Perped on him every yep, time. Sure did. So on July 5th, 2000, Montana police charged 
David with kidnapping and sexual assault, as well as kidnapping and sexual assault of three other boys, and the murder of Zach Ramsey while David was held at the Cascade County Jail in Great Falls. He pled innocent to all charges. All right. Prosecutors announced that they would be seeking the death penalty. He ultimately ends up getting prosecuted for the abduction and molestation of three boys and convicted of kidnapping, aggravated assault, and sexual assault, including charges, charges that he had tortured one of the boys and hung him from the ceiling. Okay. okay. I'm... This is one of the neighbor boys, the upstairs boys. Yes, and I am not, I'm not naming victims here. There were minors and I'm not going into these. These are all the things that they found in the investigation. Okay. Um, Here's the thing. Zach Ramsey's mother was swayed by David's defense team to, to testify for them that she believed her son was still alive. Let me say that again. Yeah. Zach Ramsey's mother was swayed by David's defense team to testify for them that she believed her son was still alive, which led jurors not to convict David for Zach's murder. There's no body. Although they were not at all convinced that he was not an extreme child predator and dangerous sexual deviant. We will get into why she believes that her son is still alive in the next time. Yeah. (laughs) Just as the yes. as the as a mom. Mm-hmm. So during his trial, thirty-six-year-old Mary Patrone recognized him as the man who had abducted and assaulted her by dressing as a police officer in 1974. But oh. the statute of limitations had expired, and he could not be charged with a crime. Ultimately, you guys, he was sentenced to 130 years in prison, and he maintained his innocence up until his death. So how'd he die? How'd he die? How'd he die? He died in prison very uneventfully. How did I put it? Fine. Like naturally or something? No. Um, it was it was a medical. Like I think he had a heart okay. thing or something. Yeah, no, I do get to it. I, I do get to it. But I wanted to kind of tell you what. There's more here. Okay. Um, Montana authorities were unaware of David's criminal record in Massachusetts. And it was actually by activists campaigning to force former sex offenders to register that in December 2004, the Montana Supreme Court turned down David's appeals and upheld the 130-year prison sentence. But he was found unresponsive in his prison cell on the morning of April 13, 2008. He had been in poor health. His postmortem found significant levels of LDL in his arteries I don't, I don't it's the, know. It's the bad cholesterol. Yeah, well, and he had a heart attack that was determined to be his mm-hmm. cause of death. That's what I thought it was. But um, during the, one of the searches at his house in Great Falls, authorities dug up portions of the garage and sifted through nearly two tons of dirt, which they found 21 fragments of human bones in. Shocking. Yeah. Although it was eventually determined that the bones were that of an unidentified African-American child, a boy believed between the ages of 8 and 13, DNA analysis showed that the bones were not that of Zach Ramsey, and the DNA sample did not match the human hair found in Ramsey's kitchen. He said Zach was scattered all over, though. Mm -hmm. This is a different victim. Sure is. When investigators decided that they wanted to examine the sewer pipes beneath the house in which David had previously resided, they were told by the owner that the pipes had all been replaced after David moved out because they were getting so terribly clogged. 
This is like my guy mm-hmm. in Canada. I know it reminded me of the fat bastard too. shoving f- flesh. Yes. Flesh in the pipes flesh was the title the of that episode. David is still widely believed to have been responsible and is also suspected to have committed additional homicides in Montana because of the founding findings made in his residence. Evidence shows that he frequently traveled to Arkansas, Colorado, Florida, Massachusetts, Wyoming, Michigan, and Washington. Some bitch. He was also investigated for possible crimes in Alberta and Saskatchewan, Canada, where he lived at times during the 1990s, like where he would go and visit. But police found no links to him in any of those unsolved cases. Wow. Yeah. So. Wow. There is definitely, there's a lot of potential kids that are missing and the police have been able to determine he was in that area at the time. Just so you know. Yeah. And that is the disgusting case. That is oh. a hell of a case, Charnel. Like, right? I'm still, I'm kind of at a loss. Like, I'm waiting for, I'm waiting for more, but I don't want there to be more. No, but the judge did what, <coughs> what I'm the so judge sorry. needed to do with putting him away for 130 yeah. years. Um, after you know, searching his home, finding just, all that child pornography. It's just one of these cases where you know there's so many more victims, yep. and there's all these unsolved cases, and, and we will never know. And, and finding the recipes, and he died, and he yep, finding the recipes of him, you know, with the cooking. Yeah. Um, we know that he had that he had from early in childhood a, a taste for for human flesh. Is um, there? Was there anything in his writings about his killings and whether they were religious based or not? I mean, we know that he was he, God's was scri- called yeah, chosen one. There was scripture everywhere. Uh, you know, honestly, it was it was like manic. Like none of that ever really made you know sense. But um, yeah, there wasn't anything like specific. You know that I could that I could find in that regard. That it is, it is just very, very, very highly probable that he butchered his victims and packaged the meat and fed them to his entire church congregation several times a week when he made them spaghetti dinners and all these different types of dinners because the smell was just awful. That people, you know, the whole time Pam and Sherry lived there, he Can would I defrost meat. Maybe it's just us because we're used to it but when i cook venison when i cook deer meat it doesn't smell bad no it has a slightly sweeter smell because it's game but it doesn't smell bad well i will point this out it was noted that pam had serious sinus issues she could hardly smell at all so pam wasn't noticing no so she stayed in the home for over a year not even realizing that it smelled that horrible whereas sheree was like whoa or sherry excuse me not sherry sherry I, i did that yeah. Well, it is kind of, it could go either way. I, I might be mispronouncing it. It no, could I'm, be Shuri. I'm, it's probably Shuri, but, but I'm, I'm going, I, I got to pull out the, the Cajun every once in a while. It's my favorite that, place. That's just like, in all likelihood, he ate his victims and. Uh, oh my God. I don't even know what you did to me right now. You brought me a pedophile murderer cannibal. cannibal. With so many other things thrown in. Sunday school teacher. Right. Officer and impersonator and flea market flea market guys. I don't even know, Charnel. Wow. I know. Are you gonna f- f- bathe me? Gonna- I, I I don't know if our listeners like, do you want me to analyze this anymore? It's pretty straightforward. Like there's nothing right. else for me to even give on. This guy's a sick fucker, and I think he might be one of the worst ones you've ever brought me. I told you. 
Did I not say? I mean, in the two years of doing this podcast, I I, I didn't think, think it was going to get grosser than my flesh in the pipes. But nope, I it's, think it it's wins. pretty gross. Yeah. Oh yeah. my god, we haven't awarded the trophy. Well, that's for brain baths. And we have a BB nuts on top of it. I mean, it's, this right. case has got it all. I just really like that nickname that his dad gave him. I told you. Do you guys understand now at the end of four hours nearly of listening why I was okay with calling an infant BB nuts and yeah. saying he was a disgusting, like right, just right from birth. You, you couldn't even doomed. call him a baby, Sharnell. No, I couldn't. No, because no. he, he wasn't in my eyes. And then this is why. This is why. Okay. Okay. And it, and after the fact, so Bob does come forward and gives information of saying, listen, um, now in hindsight, you know what? I realized why I, it's not in here. It's in the next it's one. It's in the next, yeah, it's, it's in Zach's case. Well, let's tune into Zach's yeah. case. See, and, and so is the information about Bob coming over. Perfect. So, so now bathe me. Please, yeah, for the love of Christ, bathe me. <laughs> okay, I will, I will, I will. So this is a... Uh, a a police force, you know, we follow that one police officer. Or South police, Lake PD. Yes, the South Lake PD, and we love them. So there is one in Michigan. Um, Is it Cass or? It's Bath. 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 It's Bath. I love Bath. And so I wanted, <coughs> it was recently April 20th, 420. Okay. 420, 420. And they put. I, I saw this, but please spare I, me. Okay. Because I follow them. Oh, okay. Wonderful. Well, for the people that aren't in Michigan and don't follow this police department, we have to let them know what they put out on 420 as their public service announcement. It says, time to be blunt. It's past the midweek and we've made it to another one of our Thursdays. We'd like to say we're excited <laughs> for the weekend too. But like a dope, I picked up an extra work session for promo cash. So while I'm stuck having to buzz around the township, hopefully you all get to enjoy some family time, even with dad and his chronic back pain or, <laughs> or Aunt Mary and, his, and her glaucoma, Aunt Mary and her fatty little doggy dog roach. Oh, God. Do yeah. be careful do around do. roach. He will steal food and you won't notice that nugget is gone until it's too late. Or he may lick your face and dog spit is just sticky icky. I also recommend doing something healthy, like grabbing some green and making a delicious salad. Just check the expiration date. Wouldn't want to grab a leaf so bad it's basically the devil's lettuce, because man, that is bad. (laughs) Or get some fruit from... New service that deliver from that new service that delivers right to the door. Pineapple Express, I think it's called. Yep. Well, I would like to be hanging out at home. I know the grass is always greener on the other side, and being here is some of the fine stuff. If you have any issues, give us a call and I'll try to come hash out your problems or refer you to someone that can help. Well, as my mom used to say, you got to poo or get off the post or get off the pot. Excuse me. So I guess I should finish, finish this post and then make like a tree and get out of here. 
Oh, and before I forget, as we usually remind you to do on today's date, make sure to wish Carmen Electra a happy birthday. It's literally the only notable thing about today. So fire one up, and by that I mean a stove, because Carmen deserves a cake that's well-baked. Jesus. So I just I, I loved it. Funny. Yep. For, and for those of you out there who got half those references, I, I hope all, you all didn't eat the entire contents of your refrigerator. <laughs> Right, right. <coughs> exactly. Using it again. Oh, <coughs> so, poor Megan. I know. I'm. It's okay. I've made it quite a ways through. I love Bath, and I follow there that. So, what was funny, Jarnal, is that other dates, other things come up on your Facebook feed when you're looking at those, oh, including yeah. memories from many years ago. Mm-hmm. So, one of my memories came up after I read that on 4:20, and it was from probably 13 years ago when I still worked at the prosecutor's office and marijuana was not illegal or was not legal in the in state Michigan, of Michigan. Right. And my post, which I put right out there for everyone to see said, happy 420. In, 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 uh, in honor of 420 today, I'm going to authorize every drug related warrant on my desk. I hope you all enjoy your night in jail. Happy 420. Oh, <laughs> and, good Lord. and I've got friends under there going, you're a dick. <laughs> And other friends are there going, woohoo, you go get them. And, right. and yeah, so I would just, funny. that's what made me know for sure that I had read that bath one because I recall my memories coming up too. Right, right. And just looking back at self, you know, 13 years ago going, why, why are you doing, why did you <laughs> right. post that? Because back then you only had 158 friends on Facebook. Probably. Like it wasn't, and no followers. Yeah, and nobody like gave a shit about me. Just there, one of those, so. one of those things that now I know, I think that I read my memories and sometimes I'm like, why? Why? why did you do that? Why did past Charnel think that the I world don't. needed to see that? I know. Because future Charnel is embarrassed. Right. Oh God. All right. Well, Follow us on social media, please. If you'd like to join Patreon, do so. uh, Patreon.com forward slash Crime Curious or hit the link in the show notes. And in the meantime, we hope that you keep it curious and keep listening. Bye-bye. (laughs) 